Welcome to New Hope's teaching podcast. This is an excerpt from our Sunday morning service. Visit newhopepdx.org teaching for notes, worship, and church announcements. Stay up to date with our teaching series and events by downloading our app. Just text New Hope PDX app to 77977. Enjoy this week's lesson. People tend to see things from different perspectives. That's probably the understatement of the year. I doubt many of you disagree with me on that. But if you do, let me try to prove it to you really quickly. And this will involve your participation. I'm sure some of you may have seen the images that will be coming up on the screen, but an image will come up, uh, four of them, I think. And at home, if you're alone, you can just do this with yourself and say it out loud. If you're with other people, you can kind of shout it out and and make a game of it. But here's the first image. Um, This is probably one of the more famous ones. But what do you see? Do you see a, a young woman or an old woman? Like, whoa, depending on what you saw to kind of see the other image blows your mind, different perspective. Here's, uh, here, here's picture number two. Do you see uh, a man, the silhouette of a man, or this will think kind of be sideways in the anger, do you see the word liar with a capital L? Whoa. Here's one of my favorite ones. So I think most people see the image of a couple standing under a tree by a lake. But now, some of you might have seen this right away, do you see a baby? the tracings of a baby in fetal position. What? And then finally, this is the the oldest kind of image like this optical illusion. It was in Harper's Weekly in 1892. Do you see a duck or do you see a rabbit? (laughs) These images prove to us people tend to see things from different perspectives, which is good. Uh, Paul, in uh, the letter to the Ephesians, is continually trying to change our perspective. Uh, Paul wants the church to, to see ourselves from a different perspective and to see others from a different perspective. We're in week two of a series we'll call on Resurrecting Church, a study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. As I said last week, and if you, if you missed that message, go back and check it out because it really does frame up the entire 11-week series. But let me give you a brief review. I argue that the church has never been needed more to be the church that God's created it to be. And as we're thinking about the next series, Ephesians came to mind because Paul writes the letter to the Ephesians for expressly that purpose, to tell us what the church is meant to be. Paul is uh, writing to a group of churches in Asia Minor, even though it says in Ephesus that was added later and probably just was sent to Ephesus first and then sent around to all the other churches. He's not talking about one particular church. He's writing to all the different churches. He's writing to New Hope Church in 2021 to cast vision for what we're meant to be as a church because the church is needed more than ever. We argued last week that Ephesians isn't meant to be read as a set of propositions and theological statements, even though those are in there. Ephesians is meant to be read as a drama, as a story that we're invited into to live. It's also meant to be read apocalyptically, 
That word does refer sometimes to the end times, but often to the present as well. It simply means to reveal, to open up our minds and our hearts to something that we didn't see before. In this case, Paul is continually going to be, through this letter, opening up our minds and our hearts to the reality of things as they are and to who the church should be in that reality. We talked about the God of the story. God is the showrunner. That's a TV term. God is not only the the producer, the director, the writer. God's over all those things. God knows where the story's going. God's directing the story. In this drama, in this story, Jesus is the lead actor. Jesus is the most important figure. Everything happens through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But just because God's the showrunner and Jesus is the lead actor doesn't mean we don't have a vital role to play. We absolutely do. And emphasis on the word we, we cannot read and live out the story of Ephesians through an individualistic mindset. We're invited to read it as a community, as a church. That's how it's meant uh, to be lived out. And when we live it out as a church, the story that we're invited into, it will bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Uh, So after uh, we looked at the prologue last week, First two verses are kind of intro verses, and then 3 through 14 was one long run-on sentence in the Greek. It's the second longest sentence in the New Testament. And in that prologue of the story, we explored uh, several of the points I just laid out. And again, if you want to check out that message, go back, and it's on the website. This week, Emily will be reading the the next section, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through uh, the end of the chapter. This is also one long, massive sentence in the Greek, and uh, much of it is is a prayer. And so before Emily reads, let me pray for us. God, we pray uh, wherever people are listening to this, in their homes, in their cars, out on a walk, that your Holy Spirit would be active, that as we hear this prayer, that it would infiltrate our minds and our hearts and reshape us and reform us into be people that are living this incredible story. Uh, that idea that our story is part of a much, much greater story that we're invited into. And God, we, uh, we pray that that would come alive in our hearts and our minds this week and that, that this beautiful prayer would be a tool that we carry with us into this week to pray over our own lives, to pray over the lives of those we love. Uh, so thank you for the gift of this prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Emily, take it away. Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This 
is the word of the Lord. One of the chief aims of, of Paul, particularly in the first chapter of Ephesians, but we see it throughout the entire letter, is to get us to see ourselves from a different perspective, to get us to see others from a different perspective. Most notably, to get us to see ourselves the way that God sees us. Paul will use two primary phrases or words in chapter one uh, to do that. One is this little phrase, in Christ or through Christ. And second is the word saints. We'll look briefly at each of those. Uh, as Emily read, you might've noticed the first couple words that she read were for this reason. So again, it works. that phrase works just like it does in English. For this reason points us backward to everything we talked about last week. So Paul is prompted to pray in light of what he told us last week. And uh, he told us and focused uh, his message last week on these two key phrases. So let's unpack them a little bit. I want to put up the passage from last week. I won't take time to read it. You, you have your Bibles readily available, so you can go back and read it, and I encourage you to do so. But like we did last week, I, I highlighted any time Paul uses this small little prepositional phrase, in Christ or through Christ. So as you, as you look through it, just the passage is up on the screen right now, um, in, in Christ Jesus, in Christ, in him, through Jesus Christ, in the one, in him, in Christ, in him. It's 11 times. Go ahead and count it up. So what's repeated in scripture is important. This isn't just Paul throwing in this prepositional phrase. He's being very, very intentional, weaving it into the prologue. Uh, Paul uses this prepositional phrase 36 times in Ephesians and 164 times in all of his writings. I would argue it's one of the most important statements or phrases in the entire Bible. It is imperative that we understand this phrase because it's the key to helping, our, helping ourselves to see, see ourselves from a different perspective as God sees us and helping us to live out the story. So at the risk of oversimplification, I would define identity when you say, hey, what's your identity? Identity is how we see ourselves. And Paul is continually trying to get to see ourselves differently. He does that through this phrase, in Christ or in Adam. Uh, so he uses these two phrases and he juxtaposes them throughout his, his writings, in Adam and in Christ, two primary ways we see ourselves. In Adam is what we were born into. It's our basic human state. We didn't have to do anything other than just be born into this world to be in Adam. And if we see ourselves in Adam, we primarily see ourselves through the, our performance and our appearance, through the things that we do and the way other people see us. That's how our identity is formed. But as we turn from ourselves and we place our hope in Jesus and his death and resurrection on the cross, which is exemplified in baptism, imagery, and language, we are born again to a new family. And the phrase that Paul uses to bring this to life is in Christ or through Christ. No longer are we in Adam. No longer do we find our identity through how we perform and what we do or how other people see us or perceive us. Now we find our identity through what Jesus has done for us and how God sees us. It's a very simple concept, but incredibly imperative uh, to understand for our transformation into the image of God. Everything changes when we no longer see ourselves in Adam and we begin to see ourselves in Christ through the work and the affection and the love 
of, of God for us in Jesus. So Paul's continually trying to shift our framework, shift our perspective from seeing ourselves um, the old way from in Adam to the new way in Christ. There's a second little word that Paul uses to shift our perspective that's embedded in there. You, we probably all miss in Christ and through Christ as we read it. We definitely miss this one. And it's the word saints. We, we briefly mentioned it last week. Paul's first line is the holy ones in Ephesus or the saints in Ephesus. That's really how the word, the Greek word can be translated. He then repeats that in the passage that Emily just read. He says, for this reason, so he's pointing back to that reference, ever since I heard of your faith in Jesus, there's the in Jesus, and your love for all the saints. There it is again, the same Greek word. He repeats it yet again in verse 18 of his prayer. Again, what is repeated is important. Saints is Paul's noun of choice for the people of God, for people who have placed their hope in Jesus. Now, you may immediately say, John, you don't know me. I'm no saint. And I would agree with you. I would say that as well. I'm no saint. But when we're saying it that way, we're using the modern context of the word. That's not the biblical understanding of the word. The biblical understanding of the word translated holy ones or saints is uh, not in reference to uh, to what we do and how we perform, that we're super Christians. That's how we use it now. It's in reference to what God has done. It's actually used totally differently. So if we don't understand that, then we misunderstand what Paul's saying. From the, like, the third word into Ephesians, and then he repeats it several times in this first chapter, he's redirecting the people in Ephesus away from seeing themselves through their own performance and appearance to seeing themselves as God sees them through the work of Jesus. Now, he, he knows the church at Ephesus. He knows the churches in Asia Minor. He spent several, a long, long time at Ephesus. He has seen these people. He's seen their brokenness. Paul knows his own brokenness. And yet he still chooses to call them saints. If he came to New Hope tomorrow, Paul, and, 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 uh, or, or this Sunday, if you will, and attended and met us and met you and met me and saw us and lived with us and hung out with us, he would see our brokenness. It's on self-discipline by life all the time. He would still choose to call me saint. He'd still choose to call you saint because it's not about being a super Christian. That's, that's how we've, it's come to be used, but not any, that's not how the biblical authors use it. It's meant to point us to how God sees us, that in Jesus, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we are holy ones. And Paul is reframing our identity back to that vital truth. Back in uh, 2009, my wife and I, we had really young kids then, and we had a rare date night, and we went to the, the movies to see what was, you know, the, the number one movie then, Avatar. Many of you have probably seen Avatar. And we chose to splurge and do the 3D version. Now, I've, I've seen Avatar in 2D since then, and it, I love it. It's a great movie. It's very entertaining. It doesn't hold a candle to the 3D. So if you've seen a 3D movie in the theater, you walk in and they give you the, the little 3D glasses that look like they're made in like a preschool art class by like small children. And you put them on, but these are imperative to, to, to seeing the movie in 3D. And essentially, we could go deep on 3D technology. Essentially, the glasses and the way it's filmed allow you to see an extra dimension, the dimension of depth. So I still remember seeing Avatar in 3D and like the large blue figures coming off the screen and flowers are floating there and it looks like it's raining. It was incredible. And if you've never seen something in 3D, check it out. Wearing those glasses allows us to see something we didn't see before. It allows us to see an additional perspective. And that's what Paul's trying to attempt in this first 
uh, chapter here, we're prone to see ourselves in Adam. We're prone to see ourselves through what we do and what other people think of us, usually our critics. That's a false way to find our identity. From the very get-go, Paul is trying to redirect the churches in Asia Armada, redirect the church at New Hope to seeing ourselves from a new perspective, how God sees us. Paul additionally wants us to see other things. Once we see ourselves as saints and in Christ and our new identity, he also wants us to see the gifts that we have been given. And there are three gifts, and this is embedded in his prayer. He's praying, he's begging God to, to open the eyes of the Ephesians that they would see these gifts. Uh, in verse 18, he literally says that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. He mentions kind of that eye-opening aspect twice. He's like, our eyes are closed to this. It's like seeing a 3D movie and not having the glasses. Put the glasses on them, God. Help them to see this. And then he mentions these three gifts. May their eyes be open to what they've received in Jesus as saints because of the work of Jesus. The first is a hopeful calling. The Greek word for church actually means called out ones. If we're part of the church, if we placed our hope in Jesus and we're part of a community following him, we don't wake up in the morning aimless with no direction and no hope. We are literally the called out ones, and it's an inherently hopeful work. We're called to be part of God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's inherently hopeful. One person uh, defined uh, hope as faith living on its tiptoes. So in Christ, as saints, Paul wants our eyes to be open to this gift that we have a hopeful calling, we have meaning, we have mission in our lives on this planet. Two, Paul wants our eyes to be open that we have vast riches at our disposal. Uh, he, he, this reinforces last week when he says this in the prologue, that we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We've been adopted as God's children, and we have been lavished with the riches of God's grace. Our claim ticket, Paul tells us, for this lavish riches is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the world's greatest miser is, uh, that's how Hetty Green is referred to. She died in 1916. Her estate at that time was worth $100 million. And yet she lived in abject poverty. She uh, ate cold oatmeal because of the cost of heat. She uh, had a leg amputated because she didn't want to take time to go look for a free clinic and didn't want to pay for a doctor. Uh, according to, to, to legend, she hastened her own death uh, by bringing on a heart attack, talking about the value of skim milk. Hetty's like rich beyond comparing, yet she lived as a pauper. And I see that in my life as a follower of Jesus. I see that in so many lives as followers of Jesus, that we live this impoverished state. And Paul's trying to redirect us to the vast riches we have. Third, Paul wants us to see that we have been gifted with resurrection power. Uh, we are powerful not in and of ourselves because of God's, this is Paul's words, incomparably great power is working for those of us who believe. Uh, Paul tells us it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The Greek word for uh, this power is the word from which we derive um, our word dynamite. It's like spiritual dynamite that's there at our disposal as followers of Jesus. And it comes by virtue of our relationship to Jesus, who is the head of the church. We're the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. And Paul ends the prayer by adding on this incredible doxology that this is the, the same Jesus that is above every other power in this age and in the age to come. Uh, it, is, uh, it is natural for followers of Jesus, I think. I experienced this in my own life. I see it in the church 
to live this kind of woe is me, hopeless, impoverished, lacking power mentality condition. And Paul is trying to wake us up. It's, this is apocalyptic literature. Remember, he's, he's unveiling something. If you, if you remember the message from last week, that scene from 2 Kings 3 where the Elisha servant is overwhelmed by the enemies, but then his, his eyes are open up to the vast armies of God. That's what this prayer is meant to do in our lives. That when we're feeling hopeless and impoverished and lacking power, Paul's like, no, you're saints. You're, you're, you're in Christ. You find your identity through what Jesus has done and, and the pathway that he has for you and he's calling to you in all of eternity and you've been invited into this epic story. It's meant to open our eyes for the role of the church in the world and how God sees us. And that's how he ends the passage. In verse 23, Paul describes the church. The church has taken a lot of heat and maybe rightly so, but Paul describes the church in scripture as this, is the body of Christ who is filled with the one who fills everything in every way. That sounds pretty important. He's saying the church, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus is the one who was making things right in the world. And the church, we're his body that is meant to go out into the world and actualize that and to make things right uh, in the world. So a few challenges off this prayer. Uh, and before we need to kind of, I'm getting a little intense, so we need to take another break and do some more visuals. Uh, back to this perspective thing. Here's a couple more slides that I found that just kind of were illuminating for me, but also made me, me chuckle. So again, you can participate in home when these come up. Uh, do you guys, do you see a, a six or a nine, right? I mean, both are true, depends on the perspective. I really like this one. What, what guy's like boat and the other guy's like land and they're both hopeful as they're both desperate. And it all depends on, on their, their perspective. And then finally, this is the one that made me chuckle. This is called uh, the perspective of birds. <laughs> so thankfully that's not God's uh, perspective or how he sees us. We see things uh, from different perspectives. We need to begin to see ourselves from different perspectives. We need to begin to see ourselves as God uh, sees us. Um, it's hardwired into our brokenness to see ourselves in Adam, to see ourselves through our own performance, through the appearance of others, through what people say on social media. Scripture's continually shouting at us, and this passage is shouting at us, trying to wake us up to get us to see ourselves as God sees us. One of the, one of the stories that has affected this in my life is a children's book called You Are Special by Max Locato. It's the story of a little wooden people called Wemix, and the main character is Punchinello. And in this story, in the village, the Wemix give each other stars if they do good things and they perform well, and dots if they fail. Uh, well, all Punchinello gets is dots. Everywhere he goes, he gets dots. And uh, then he gets dots just for having dots. And he's just kind of a pathetic figure at the beginning of the story here. So picture Punchinello just covered with dots alone. And then he happens upon this other character named Lucy, who is also a wingman. Now, Lucy, Punchinello is shocked. Lucy does not have any stars or any dots. And he's like, what's up? Like, I would love that reality. How do you do that? She's like, well, none of them stick to me. And he's like, well, how? She's like, well, I spend regular time with Eli the woodcarver up the hill who created all of the Wemix, who in the story is obviously God the creator. So uh, Lucy takes uh, Punchinello up the hill to meet Eli. Let me read you a, a little of their interchange. Punchinello, the voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come, let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little Wemick asked. 
Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up, set him on the bench. Hmm, the maker thought, spoke thoughtfully as he inspected the gray circles. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I, I didn't mean to, Eli. I, I really tried hard. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I, I don't care what the other Weemicks think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. Who are they to give you stars or dots? They're Weemicks just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think. And I think you are pretty special. Punchinello laughed. <laughs> me? Special? Why? I, I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My paint's peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello, put his hands on those small wooden shoulders and spoke very slowly, because you're mine, that's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day, I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I, I came because I met someone who had no marks. I know. She told me about you. Well, why don't the stickers stay on her? Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about the stickers. I'm not sure I understand. You will, but it will take time. You've got a lot of marks. For now, just come to see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, said Eli, as the Weemick walked out the door, you are special because I made you, and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And what he did, a dot fell to the ground. Simple children's story. Powerful analogies. This is what we do to each other. We give each other stars and dots, and we form our identity through those things. That's horrid. That's a prison. That's not how we are meant to live. We're meant to live by finding our identity in what Jesus has done for us and what God thinks of us. We're supposed to see ourselves from a new perspective. Secondly, uh, not only should we see ourselves as a new perspective, but part of being the church in a community of Jesus followers doing life together is that we remind one another how God sees them. Oh my goodness, we so desperately need to do this. We live in such a brutal, cruel world. Just spend five minutes on social media or hang out with a group of people. I mean, it's really, really challenging right now to be a human on the planet. We, we're just given dots everywhere we go, it seems like. And it's, it's really difficult to find a clear line to our identity and to remember who we are. We have what I would like to call spiritual amnesia. We're always forgetting who we are in Jesus and what God thinks of us. Uh, years ago, my wife and I watched a movie, some of you may have seen it, with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore called 50 First Dates. I, I don't know if that is a good movie, but it made me chuckle and I liked it. And it's a kind of a simple but bizarre premise that you know Adam Sandler kind of falls for Drew Barrymore's character, but every day she has this medical condition that she goes to bed, she wakes up and she forgets the day before. So the whole movie is he's having to continually reintroduce himself and woo her all over again. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a great film. Check it out. But I thought, my goodness, that's how I am in my spiritual journey. That's how so many people are in our church, I think, and in our world. We just forget and we fall back into fall, finding our identity in Adam or finding our identity through the stars and the dots, how people view us, our performance. And it's not how we're meant to live. It's an imprisoning way to live. Paul is trying to free us from that. One of the ways we can serve one another is the body of Christ, especially as we begin to gather again, is just reminding one another how beautiful we are, how loved we are in Jesus, that, that we are saints. I mean, that's an incredible thing. We should start 
by calling one another saints. Maybe that, that would be weird. I'm going to stop, start to adopt that. So the next time I do something at home, my wife's um, maybe not pleased with me. That may happen uh, occasionally. Uh, and she says, John, you know, I ask you to do this. And I'm sure she'd say it much nicer than that. I'm going to say, that's St. John to you. And, and then she'll roll her eyes. But I think we need to redirect our minds and our hearts to oriented around what God thinks about us, not the surrounding world. It will be liberating. It will be freeing. And it's imperative that we understand this as a community. If we're going to step into and live this greater story, we're, we're supposed to live. Parents, grandparents, particularly aunts, uncles, people that have younger folks in your sphere. I mean, they're especially prone to this insidious way of finding their identity. We can continually be encouraging them and redirecting them with our comments, with, our, with notes we may write, with our prayers. When I say uh, nightly prayers with our girls and we, we sit down and, and I try to pray that truth into the prayers, always reminding them they're beautiful and they're amazing and they're loved in Jesus and the hope of their calling they have and, and the, the vast riches at their disposal and the empowerment of the spirit to redirect their hearts and minds away from the brutality of their days a lot of time living in this world to the truth of what God has done for them and how much he loves them. I had a, a, a pastor friend that I, I served with for many years and his wife grew up in a verbally abusive setting. And uh, so early on in their relationship, he wanted to counteract that and correct that. So he didn't call her by her given name. He called her Sunshine such a beautiful thing. It, it, that's faithfully what he calls her and has called her probably hundreds of thousands of times now in their life. So every time he would address her, he redirects her mind and heart up to a more beautiful image of who she is on, on what he does for her and those in her path of what God thinks about her. We have to begin uh, to practice that. So finally, uh, we should see ourselves from a different perspective. We need to remind others to see themselves from a different perspective. And third, and, and perhaps most powerfully and importantly, we need to pray this eye-opening prayer. That's what I call it. This is Paul's eye-opening prayer. We need to pray it persistently for one another. Uh, we, uh, we, we, we definitely need, there's a spiritual nature here. We can't just tell each other. It doesn't work from just a human standpoint. Paul says and prays for the spirit of God to open eyes. There's an element here, like I could sit here all day in my own strength and tell you you're this and this and this, and it's only gonna go so far. It may be kind of helpful and feel good to you, but we, there's a spiritual quality. There's a battle. Remember, this is apocalyptic literature. We're heading towards chapter six where the forces of evil, that are always whispering insidious things in our ears. The spirit of God must come in and open our eyes. So we must pray. We gotta tell one another, we gotta remind, but we must also pray. And if only... We had a prayer that helped us how to pray. I'm <laughs> being sarcastic. Of course we do. This is what this passage is. I think in my own prayer life, I've been honest with you that, that I struggle oftentimes to know how to pray and what to pray in the complexity of this world. Well, that's where praying scripture is a no-brainer. We don't have to think about what to pray. We can pray the prayers that are right there in God's word for those we love, for ourselves. So I took a part of the passage today, which is the core part of the prayer, and I just wrote up a little paraphrase. And um, those of you online, you can, you can find it. I think we're going to have it on social media this week. I'm pretty sure you can find it on our, our website to print out and encourage you to do that, to go old school, hard copy, print that thing out, plug in your printer, that kind of deal. 
and use it as a bookmark, put it on your fridge, put it beside your bedside table to prompt you and remind you to pray this eye-opening prayer for others. And there's blanks in there so that you can put someone's name. You can pray for family members and friends, the people you love, and here's a challenge, pray for even the people you don't like, that, that they would have their eyes open uh, to see themselves as God sees them. So I'm gonna give you just a second, just an interactive second here online, or this can be a little odd, but we can do this, uh, for you to pray this prayer. It will come up on your screen, and I'll just give us kind of 30 seconds of quiet, and listen to the Spirit of God, whose name comes to mind. Maybe somebody you're with, maybe you pray it over one another audibly, and that's okay too. But we'll just give you uh, 30 seconds here to go ahead and, and pray that prayer. So one of the things that Jesus gives us as a tool of how to pray in Scripture, and this is a consistent theme, is persistence. And um, Jesus, I, I love the story that Jesus gives the parable of how to pray, essentially is what he's talking about. And he talks about the neighbor coming like at midnight, I think, and knocking on the neighbor's door for bread. Imagine that if your neighbor was knocking on your door at midnight for like something like bread. And, you know, the, the person decides like, go away. And the, they just keep knocking and keep knocking and keep knocking. And the neighbor does what you or I would do. You finally open the door so they'll, they'll be quiet. And then Jesus just ends the parable and says, and that's how you should pray. That's <laughs> great. We're supposed to be persistently annoying to God and stubborn in our prayer life. That's evidenced in, in Paul's words here. Paul says he, he does not stop praying. Paul says that he, he keeps asking on behalf of the churches. Paul had a robust prayer life. He's on his knees. He's on his face before God, praying persistently. Knock, 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 knock. God, open their eyes in Ephesus. Open their eyes in Corinth. Open their eyes in, in Rome. Open their eyes in New Hope, God, that they may see themselves as you see them. Let's give that gift to one another. Sociologists have this theory called the looking glass self. It's just a theory, but I think it's provocative. And the looking glass self theory is that we form our identity uh, through the lens of how other people view us, especially those closest to us in our lives, that what they think of us is what we think of ourselves. So here's just a really simple question to help you reflect on, and maybe you can reflect on it this week. When you look in the mirror, who do you see? Do you, see, uh, do you see someone that your identity is formed by your performance that week, how you did, how you performed, stars and dots, how others see you, especially your critics? Or do you see yourself the way God sees you in Christ as a saint, as a holy one, as someone who, who has a hopeful calling and vast riches and resurrection power? That's how we're meant to see ourselves. On September 7, 2012, um, my, my wife's grandmother, Ruth, who I got to know really well, um, passed away. And Ruth was a follower of Jesus, and she was, uh, I think, 90 years old, and she'd walked faithfully with God for so long. She'd gone to the church that I served at in Madison for about 20 years. Ruth had had a difficult, challenging life. Um, her husband passed away many years before, a tough relationship, not, not the greatest dude. Uh, and then she had had uh, like a lot of pain, a lot of health issues through the years, but she loved Jesus. She spent so much time in Eli's woodshop, listening to the, the, God's word, having it poured over her heart and her mind, having that form how she saw herself. When she got uh, near the end, it was on hospice, we had the, the really choice opportunity to be with her right before um, she sh shed her earth suit and entered glory. 
And our girls are very young and, and they were there and that was important to us. So they're up on her bed. She's super, super frail, you know, raspy breath. Um, she's, she's close to death. And then Corey was there, uh, um, my wife, and then Corey's sister and her family. So there's a lot of people in the room and, you know, they always ask the pastor to pray. So, and I love Ruth dearly. And so I, she was hard of hearing. And so I got really, really close to her and, you know, figured this could be like one of my, one of my last prayers, one of the last things I say to her on this side of, of eternity. So I pray really loud and, and I'm like, God, Thank you for this beautiful and amazing woman. And then I kid you not, we didn't even think she could communicate anymore. We hear this raspy Beth go, I know. And we just all started laughing and crying and laughing and crying. I mean, imagine that. She's just frail and close to death. And in her final breath, she's like, I know I'm beautiful and amazing. And she wasn't being cocky or prideful. Ruth saw herself as God saw her. May it be the same for each of us. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this, this, this passage, this eye-opening prayer that pulls back the fabric of time and space and, and removes us from this insidious context of finding our identity and our output in a day and what we do or don't do and whether we get an A or an F or stars or dots or what people say about us, especially our critics. It's such an imprisoning way to live. And you, 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 you unveil this incredible story we're invited into where because of Jesus, we're saints, we're holy ones. Because of Jesus, we have a hopeful calling and vast riches and resurrection power. And we're called into the reality right now today of this incredible story. God, help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to see ourselves as you see us. And God, help us to be faithful members of the church, to remind one another how God sees them and to pray that the spirit of the living God would open our eyes, that we would see ourselves the way you do. Uh, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the work of Jesus on our behalf. Thank you that we are fiercely and forever loved uh, in him. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.